everyone. My name is DeAndre, and I will be your host for a Distinct Lens podcast. I have a very special guest who I'll allow to introduce herself. <laughs> Hi, my name is Dahira Apke. Um, I am from the UK, and I am part- well partaking in this, and happy to do so. Okay. And what is it that you do for a living? I'm a teacher. And I think you call it educator, don't you? Uh, we call it both, so it depends on who you're talking to. But yes, we, under- we understand what that means. I'm a secondary school teacher, so I teach history and geography. Okay, and what, what age group? Um, it starts from 13 up until 16. Okay, so in the States, that would be around like high, middle, between middle school and high school. Okay. Kids generally start high school around 14, 15, sometimes okay. 13. Like myself, I started at 13. Ah, okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so, I want to ask, um, so where are you from? Originally. Yes. So, my parents are from East Africa. So, my dad's ah. Portuguese and Kenyan mix, and my mom is Somalian. Really? Yeah. Okay, so were there a lot of different languages spoken in the household? There were, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we haven't done a lot of Portuguese, but my dad would always use the um, Kenyan language when he's mad. <laughs> uh, and w- what language was that? Um, Kenyan. Was it Swahili? Swahili, yeah. Ah, okay, okay, interesting. Yeah. And how would you describe your life growing up with, with, with your family? Did you have siblings? I do. I've got four sisters and a brother. <laughs> okay. So I'm in the middle for the um, for the girls. So two older and two younger. My brother's older than me. Um, growing up with all of them, that was a really happy time. Was it? Really happy time, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we fought a lot as... as um, siblings do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, but then you had my dad, and as soon as he arrives from work, you had to be at your best behaviour. <laughs> so he was like, "Yeah, we've been fighting. It's all good. Dad's here now." Well, what was, uh, what is your dad like? He he is very friendly but firm. So mm-hmm. he he's very hard working man. Um, probably um, what I would like my husband to be. <laughs> just he- just just such a man that takes care of his family plays with you in one hand and then disciplines you on the other. It just goes together and, and you always know that there's a playtime and there's serious time. Um, he was really strong on um, education. So if your teacher rang home for the day mm-hmm. <laughs> about something that you didn't do right, you are in trouble for that day. But um, And then again, vice versa, um, if you had a great report, Mm-hmm. We'd all have a family day out and we'd all get a treat and and that was the reward. So education was literally felt in the household. Education was number one. It was before food sometimes. It wow. Was, have you done your homework? No. What are you waiting for? Quickly do it and then come to the table. So, yeah, education was good. And I'm glad. I'm so glad because out of all six of us, three lawyers, me teaching... Another one in finance and another one managing a big company in the UK. So, wow. So it's worked. We've Definitely. All, we've all done all right. Education, uh, I believe, it opens doors that we previously believed weren't possible. Yeah. My apologies. That's right. Um, so I wanted to ask, yeah. your mom, yes. what, what was she like? She, my mom was a university teacher, so um, she was educated herself. Um. 
she would oh, she was such a strong woman mm-hmm. hence why I think I do what I do in the way that I do it um, she'd go to work just like my dad did she'd come home she knows every single thing that's happening within the house she's in control of the cooking in control of your clothes for the next day for school it's just she managed everything and um yeah that was she was good they sound like they really complimented each they other. Did they did? My my dad obviously earned more than my mum, mm. and um, we did have a good life in the sense of both parents working, good money coming in. Um, had a good holidays as a family. We went to Italy. We went back to Africa a lot. Really? Yeah. Every summer we were going back to see my nan in Kenya. So. We used to go to Nairobi and stay there what? for about four weeks. Yeah. See, I'm 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 from Fort Worth, Texas. Yeah. And you know, that's always been a dream of mine to really? go to Africa. Oh. You know what? We we had a club like when I was younger, it was like a dance club, like a club that people went to. We you yeah, know, yeah, we yeah. drink, yeah. you know, you dance, you meet yeah. up with your your Friends. peers. Yeah, yeah. But there was a club in Dallas called Nairobi's. Oh. And you know what? I didn't even know what that meant at the time. I was like, why would they call this club Nairobi? Yeah. But I didn't realize it was a city in Kenya. Oh, and that's God. what it was named after. Oh, yeah. and it was, you need to go to Africa. Yeah. So now that I have my own child, I mean, I've not taken her yet. But um, the plan is for me to go back and spend at least five weeks there with her. So she can actually see how I grew up, how my nan was, where my parents are from. So it'll be, um, yeah, it'll be a good trip. Okay. <laughs> okay. It'll be a good trip. So now, uh, obviously, this podcast is called A Distinct Lens. Yeah. And is it about, it's about us sharing our experiences, yeah. you know, in relation to financial literacy so that we can be more prepared to practice group economics so we can level up together so we can empower the communities that we come from. Yeah. And also, uh, you know, put a global spin on it because you're from the UK, I'm from I the am. United States, yeah. and you have so much culture in your family. I mean, this is like super interesting. So I have a lot of questions I want to ask. Okay. Um, but the first thing I wanted to ask, do you feel the education system uh, prepared you to properly handle money. No. 100% no. And and this is coming from me as an educator now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do teach history and I'm not involved in maths and, and that kind of side. But um, I don't remember having any lessons in school that taught me how to manage any of my finances. Hmm. I don't remember looking back thinking I needed to save up. But I had two parents who were on the money and always believed in saving up. So um, it was everything that I'd, I'd, I'd need a trainers, pair of trainers. And my parents couldn't afford to buy me a pair of sneakers, you would call it, yeah. a pair of trainers. Yeah, uh, my parents could easily buy me one, but my dad's thoughtful thoughts were that you needed to earn that money to buy your own trainers. And this was me being 10 or 11 years old. Mm. But because I didn't need it, I wanted it, I right. had to work for it. So I'd wash his car and I'd get £10 and then I'd wash my mum's dishes or I'd do extra chores at home. I'd get a bit more. And that taught me that two £10 means that I've got one more £10 to go so I can go and get my trainers at the end of the month. So um, in that sense, I think I've learned things from home more than I did at school. 
Okay. And just for our listeners who are listening in the States, when she says pounds, that's the currency here, British pounds. In the United States, you know, we have dollars. Right now, the current exchange rate is one pound to every one dollar and 35 cents so their currency is actually valued a bit higher than ours Always in the has states. Been. <laughs> uh yeah i think that has been the the, the case historically yeah. yeah so um yeah i just wanted to put that in perspective for the <laughs> listeners sorry no it's fine it's fine um so i want i want to ask um you said your parents were instrumental in your financial intelligence yeah. and and how you look at money now yeah. could you you elaborate a bit more on that so, so yes, um, I've never been given money without earning it. Mm. And so when you earn the money, it means a lot more to you. So I've mm. never been somebody that went out there and, and used all my money for what was there at that moment. Mm. I always thought about, what about tomorrow? You know, how much could I save? If I had five pounds, then it'd be how much could I spend today? And then can I save two pounds for tomorrow mm. just in case I need it? So I've always had thoughts for savings, some of my money. Um, and then when I grew up and started earning my own money, I started to think more in the sense of future savings for homes and, and cars and things that I would need in the future. Mm. I mean, don't get me wrong, my parents had helped me buy my first car. They, they put money aside for each and every single one of us. Mm. So when we went to university, we still had some savings that mm. we could use for food and travel and whatever we needed. Um, but I still thought that, you know, everything I've earned, I had to save something of that. And that's helped dramatically. I mean, now I'm in my own house. I have my own car. <laughs> okay. I, I'm, I'm great. Yeah. Now, if you don't mind me asking and yeah. sharing with our listeners, how, how old are you? 39. 39. Almost the big four zero. Always. Next year, I'm going to Miami. <laughs> okay. Okay. So when did the financial assistance from the parents, because I know you mentioned they helped with the university, they helped yeah. you to buy your first car. Yeah. When did that stop or if has it stopped? I mean, I could, I could pick up the phone and ask my dad for financial assistance at any point and he mm. would still help if you had the money. Um, but I think as soon as we finished our degrees, which is about 24, 25, mm-hmm. we were able to just move on and do our own thing, still using our savings that they've put aside for us. Because mm-hmm. we, we were never without any assistance from them mm-hmm. <laughs> through our education. Because their point was, if you have to work and learn at the same time, you'll be distracted from learning 100%. So uh, my dad had always helped with the little finances that we needed when we were learning but after you'd finish university it's time to get a job and and do your own thing and pay for your own finances really. okay so you know I just want to bring us back and put this in context a bit um so the reason I've been asking the questions I've been asking is because I'm going to a certain place so I asked you about did you feel the education system prepared you and you were educated in the UK correct yeah yeah, yeah. And so, well, the UK, I want to say England, England. specifically. Yeah, yeah. So you were educated in England. Yeah. And you feel the education system didn't prepare you. No. But the behavior, the the attitude and examples the lessons and the examples yeah, that yeah. you learned from, from your parents, yeah. that's what prepared you to be more financially literate throughout yeah. your adult years. Yeah, yeah. So I want to ask now, how comfortable do you feel like on a scale of one to 10 making financial decisions? 
I still feel like I need to be careful with certain things that I invest in or mm. things that I would like to buy. For example, when I was buying the house, I had to make sure that it was the right place, the right property, mm-hmm. uh, the right money, and made sure that I saved up more than I needed to, mm-hmm. just in case that something else popped up or something else that I needed to take care of. But um, I think I'm quite comfortable. I'm obviously old enough to do what I need to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've done a few things in my life, but um, but I'm still not to the level where I do have money in my account, but. I don't feel the need to go out there and spend that money because it's sitting there. I still feel like it needs to sit there. And, you know, if I need a dress, it'll be, do I really need it or do I just want it? So I I still use the the skills that my parents have taught me. But then I'm I'm doing the same thing with my own child at the moment. So um, she has this um, little cat. And, and how old is she? She's only 12. Okay. But I've started this from the age of eight. Okay. So she knew that if you needed a pound, you asked mummy, but you have to have a reason why you need the pound. And if we are out in shopping, she wouldn't just pick loads of things off the shelves and expect me to pay for it. She has to recalculate and think, hmm, do I have any money on me? Can mummy afford to pay for this? So mm. um, it, it's just teaching them that little skills of, what do I have now? Can I afford to have this thing that I want rather than, oh, I really want it. Let me take a loan out and get whatever I want and not what I need. So I'm still I'm still wise enough in that sense. Okay, so on that <laughs> on that scale that I yeah. gave you, I want to get back to that number. So yeah. 10 being the most comfortable, yeah. 1 being the least comfortable. Yeah. Where would you rank yourself in terms of how comfortable you are making those financial Probably decisions? Probably 8 or 9. Okay, excellent. Okay. Um, So now I want to ask, because of what's going on in our current, in our world right now, you know, with the global pandemic (laughs) and also with the protests that initially started in the States, but now have uh, gained global traction uh, that were all triggered from the public murder of George Floyd. Yeah. I want, and I hear like when I talk to colleagues or I hear different people in the UK talk about it, they say the black lives matter movement. Um, what are your thoughts on the, that, that, that public murder and the atrocities that you witnessed? Yeah. And even your own personal experience. I know I'm asking a bunch of questions. So I'll start with what are your thoughts on the protests? Rightly so. It needed to be done. It need, There's no way we could have witnessed what we've witnessed on our TV screens mm-hmm. and not do anything about it. I know that things are not as bad in the UK as it seems over in the US. Not because it doesn't happen, mm-hmm. but it's just we don't see it every day and we don't see it on our streets and our police officers are, are not as brutal as yours. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, systemic racism is here. It's everywhere. Could you elaborate on that a bit more? Yes. Yeah, so there, there will be um, the stop and search what we have in the UK. It's um, The police have authority to stop and search anybody that they can and they want to, and it's mainly happening to young black men and women. So so this is without cars, if they feel... With cars, without cars, 
if you are driving and you drove past the police car parked up and they think they need to stop you, they'll just follow you and stop you. Without prejudice, so it doesn't matter. It if doesn't they have a feeling, hey, I want to stop this yeah, person, yeah. they can do that. If, they if have the right to do that. If you actually look like you're dodgy to them, which is word that they use of not behaving appropriately. Which is very subjective. It is very subjective. Yeah, and, and, and it mainly happens to young black men and women, especially in London. I, I don't see it as much in Northampton or Northamptonshire, which is where we live at the moment. Mm-hmm. But especially in London, and I grew up in London, so I all my friends are still back there, and 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 I've heard lots of yeah unkind things. What do you, what do you think is the driver for that? Why do you think they stop young black men and women more? I think obviously um, culturally our young black men and women are seen to be troublemakers, are seen to not be in education, are seen to be carrying weapons or drugs or whatever else that mm-hmm. they, they think black people do. Um, but I, I have no idea. I think the Metropolitan Police have been asked this question so many times as to why they do it. Mm-hmm. Why do they pick on the young black men and women? Um, there was never a straightforward answer. I do know that there's a problem within the um, young black communities with gangs and whatever else that goes on in London, but I don't think every young black person in a car deserves to be stopped and searched. Every black person that's walking between their friend's house to their house needs to be stopped and searched, but they have the authority to do it, they do it. It happens, but... Having said that, they're not as brutal. They're not, they would never kneel on somebody's head. I mean, I haven't seen that in the UK. And if it did happen, it would be a lot worse than what you guys have done over in the US. It wouldn't just be a protest. It will be a lot worse. So, um, now, when you say a lot worse, what do you mean? For example, if you look at the um, Brixton riots in the 80s and, mm-hmm. and, and there was other riots in other places in London... When something dramatic like that happens, people use violence to um, show their anger and and do lots of. So the the response was a violent will response. Be different. Yeah, the the response will be a vi- lot violence. They would again. They respond in kind, essentially, is what you're saying. Yeah. So um, yeah, I I don't think the police would be too quick to do what they did in the U.S. That's interesting that you would say that. Um, because there's been a lot of talk in our communities in the states yeah. about how we protest and the and and the approach to it, you know. And there's a legacy that yeah. stems from um, the 1960s, uh, even beyond, even before then. I mean, it just comes from you know the history of racism in the United States. You know, it was a country built on the backs of slaves, you know, but purported as the country for opportunity and and freedom, you know, a complete contradiction. Uh, And it it stems from that place. Even the police force in and of itself, you know, it was initially started to bring slaves back to plantations. You you know, that was the initial reason for the... They can escape from... um 
plantations or farms that they were working on because they had um what did they have branding didn't they yeah and, and they knew where they belonged yes so my reason for bringing that up is because the repercussions were so severe yeah if you were against what was going on at the time you know i've, I've read so many stories of how you know, they would emasculate men by quartering them with horses yeah. and, you know, castrating them in f- publicly, you know, hanging them from trees. You know what they did to our women, raping them. You know, it was it was a lot of brutality. Yeah. And 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 so I understand what you're saying. You're saying, hey, we were we would respond in yeah. kind. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm actually I'm I'm aligned with that. Yeah. But I think over time we've been. so oppressed and brutalized to the point to where people are very cautious about the way that they go do things. And, and I, I think in one way it's good because it takes us, it makes us take a step back and become a lot more strategic in our approach. Yeah. You know, I'm a part of that new generation that actually thinks about, okay, how can we progress our agenda? How can we make this a better country and in that, make it a better world Yeah. from a long-term view. Yeah. Because my initial reaction was one, and I, I participated in the protest in, 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 in the I city that London. was from. <laughs> I want to hear more about that. Yes, go on. And my, but my initial feeling was one of rage, yeah. you know, one of anger, one of uh, disgust. Yeah. You know, I wanted... To get out there and do something. Yeah. I, and, I think, and it wasn't to someone in particular, no. but I wanted to do something. Yeah. And it wasn't the best thing to do. No, not at all. So I, I felt exactly what you've just described. So I sat in my room and I remember watching that clip and I played it again and again and again just to clarify for myself that this is actually happening in 2020 in the world, in the land of freedom. Mm-hmm. That is your country. That's what you pride yourselves as. So um, that really angered me. And, and I, I remember my little girl had seen it on TikTok and she came running down and she was like, Mommy, Mommy, look, look what's happened to this poor man. That angered me even more. Wow. In my head, I was like, my child in 2020 should not be witnessing somebody's life taken away in front of the camera, in front of everybody, in such an inhumane way. So it really angered me. Not because I was angry at all white people. I was angry at all police officers. But I was just angry as being a history teacher who studies about slavery and Mm -hmm. and West African studies and trying to educate students how not to be how our history has been Mm -hmm. to um, other people in regards to their um, skin colour or, I don't know, economic background or whatever it is, the difference. So I'm, I'm there educating these students to be kind and to learn from what has happened in our in our past and move on from that. And then for that to still happen, I couldn't justify not going to that protest. I, I could not. I had to go. I, I wanted the world to feel like we were feeling what America was feeling. We were feeling what that family was feeling. Mm. It, it shouldn't be allowed. It shouldn't be allowed. And I, I just had to go. And I did go. 
That's that's wonderful. And, you know, for our listeners, I, I love to show that solidarity yeah. of the African diaspora. Yeah. You know, I think it's wonderful that we know we have allies on other yeah. continents and other countries that look like us. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I think it's a right now is the moment where a lot of us are a lot more receptive yeah. and we're conscious of what's really going on in the world. So I I, I really appreciate you sharing that. That's right. Um, so you participated. I what, did. what was it like? Like it, when we were there? It was it was amazing. It was liberating. I, I went with some of my friends from London. So um, there was black, white, Indian, we all different colours, all races. We all went together. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, we marched on from, um, I think it was Leicester Square, all the way down to the um, US Embassy. <laughs> ah. were, yeah, we weren't allowed to get any closer, but it was so good. It, everybody was out. Everybody had the same motive. It was peaceful. It was saying the words that we needed to hear we it was expressing how we wanted to see change happening it's it wasn't just because of him there's been people before him that have been brutally murdered and i'm uh, glad you highlighted that because yeah. some people i speak to they think it was because of george floyd right. but no this is yeah it's this been is happening gradually stuff. i mean look at that man that was jogging what's his name Ahmad yeah yeah For you to go leave your house today and go for a jog and somebody has the authority to just kill you for no reason, that shouldn't happen. That shouldn't be allowed to happen. And there shouldn't be any reason why any human being would want to do that to another human being for whatever reason. Even if he has stolen something from you, there's a law and justice system in place. You ring the police police will deal with it you do not take matters into your own hands and the only other problem that america has that is worse than us is that you all own guns (laughs) we we do not have weapons in our houses and it even though it's been tradition for you guys even though donald trump is using that now as a way to get any um to re-elect it or whatever that they're trying to take our guns away. That is the only problem you have. Remove that out of your system. Remove that out of your legal um, allowances of owning guns. What do you need to own gun for? You know, for me, it's it's a lot deeper than the gun culture and the legislation associated with it. Because, they? yeah, because I, I really didn't realize the difference in uh, gun culture until I started living in the UK, you know, where it, I rarely see them. And when I do see them, it's with someone who's a part of law enforcement, law enforcement. or the legal yeah. system. Yeah. And and really, to be honest, the only time I've seen them is when I'm going through customs at the airport. Yeah. That's when I see artillery, yeah. and, you know, the machine guns, the weapons. I haven't seen a handgun yeah. outside yeah, of a police officer. Our police do not carry big weapons. Exactly. Um, outside of them, I I haven't seen any weapons. Yeah. But, I, I, you know, I just think about my experiences growing up in the United States. Like, as a teen, you know, in my early 20s, uh, I, you know, almost everybody had a gun. Mm-hmm. It, it was not legally or illegally. Really? You know, everyone had a gun. It was like, if you don't have a gun, you know, it, it, you were putting yourself at a disadvantage. There's a phrase that we have in the States. They say, don't bring a knife to a gunfight. 
And this is just, you know, that's illustrative Mm. of the gun culture in the United States. It was just, that's the way things are. And coming to the UK and seeing such a stark contrast, you know, it's very, very different. But at the same time, again, I said it's deeper than that, because for me, you can legislate guns. You can legislate who owns what. You can't legislate the heart. Yeah. And and for me, you know, even if those people didn't have those weapons, they still have that hatred. Hatred. Yeah. That in that 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 intention to harm and to deprive yeah. and to oppress others. That for me is what the crux of the issue is. Yeah. And for me it's 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 not just the United States, it's, as you mentioned, yeah. it's that systemic racism. Yeah. And so I even wanted to ask, like in your profession, yeah. have you experienced that? The, the 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 consequence or the effects of that systemic racism. Hundred percent. I I think I as a teacher as an educator, I I tend to think that I treat all children the same. I see them as they are, mm-hmm. nothing different. But there are children that are coming in to our schools from deprived areas, areas that they've never had anything outside of their homes. They've probably grown up with single parent home. Mm-hmm. Nobody to guide them, nobody to show them there's other alternatives to what you're doing. So it's it's difficult to treat a child that is from that background with a child that has both parents, both working, financial good at home, um, probably allowed to get what they want to get. I just I just think that to me is the systemic racism that starts in the UK from childhood. Mm. And unless we fix that, we won't have black or mixed race children leaving school with the grades that they deserve to leave with. Mm. I think when we look at our education system, we have students that have other problems at home and cannot concentrate at school or cannot Mm. have the level of focus that other students have. So in until that they have a good home to go to, a hot meal every night, um, parents that are probably tolerant to care for them, mm-hmm. then that wouldn't wouldn't change. And and, and it's it's a sad sad place to be in because as a teacher, I see my child striving to be the best, and then some of their classmates are still not able to read on the level that they should be reading in because there's nobody at home to educate them at home. There's nobody to support with what we give them from school. So as soon as they get home, books aside, go out to play for all hours, come back in, they'll get a hot meal if they're lucky, if not, go to sleep hunger, and then they come to school next morning hungry. There's been a cases where I've, provided breakfast for students because I knew that they couldn't focus for the rest of the day with an empty stomach. So there's lots of things that are going on and and we need to look at that first before we can imagine to have a very well-educated black and ethnic minorities in, in the UK. I think that's a very salient point that you just made. Um, and it, it sounds like it comes down to economics. Yeah, 100%. And the opportunity or the lack thereof. Why do you think there is such a lack of resources and opportunities? 
for everybody or for the black and minority um, community? So I, I think there are certain history that I mean I mean these things that children are going through at the moment if your parents are not educated Mm -hmm. you're never going to feel like you need to educate yourself or do better you're always going to watch what your parents did history repeats itself all the time Mm -hmm. and and I think there are parents that have been in the UK probably from the Windrush generation from Jamaica That that wind wind rush generation is the Caribbean black people that have come to the UK okay. after the war had ended in after the Second World War had ended. They were promised that you were going to have homes, you mm-hmm. were going to have jobs because you're part of the um, these economic the colony. these economic yeah. incentives. It sounds like it's they were asked to partake in the Second World War on behalf of the UK. Mm-hmm. They have done that, mm-hmm. and then after the war they were told that they couldn't have anything here. So they ended up sleeping on the streets. They ended up working for anything and everything that they could get. So it, it was just lots of um, not nice environment to be in after you've been taken away from your country to fight for a country that promised you the world and you didn't get it. So because of that, those those parents have started, obviously, their families, but the families only knew that we live in one bedroom house for five people to live in. Mm. Um, dad does not earn as much as other dads do. So you share one loaf of bread for the whole evening for everybody to eat and not a lot of food in the house. And then obviously you move on from there and you go on to um, education. Education wasn't compulsory then. So the kids only knew that once I reached 15, 16, and need to go out there and get a job so I can support my family and support myself. So those generations have taken a long time to realise, actually, our children need to be educated so they can do better than what we did. And and that is the problem at the moment. I mean, it's getting better. I mean, the number of students that go to university in the UK that are from ethnic and black and ethnic minorities, it's getting higher and higher every year. But there's still more to be done. There's still the level of education that they're taking out from GCSEs, which is when they finish school at 16 before they go to college or sixth form, um, is still quite low in comparison to other ethnic minorities. And and from what you've just said, it just sounds like there's been a history of economic inequality. Yes. And we see the result of that playing out currently in in the UK. Yeah. 100%. For black and ethnic minorities, specifically black minorities. Yeah. Um and you know it's 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 interesting how that parallels with the United States. Uh just that economic inequality. Yeah. It's it's hard to catch up once you're behind the eight ball. Have a look at state schools that are in areas where predominantly black or Asian people live Mm -hmm. and then have a look at schools in where I grew up which is in Harrow Mm -hmm. and um, I went to a school in Stanmore with all the um, English and Jewish kids go to Mm -hmm. and my school was 100% different to the schools that my friends went to Uh simply because those are parents that had homes, they owned their homes and and they worked and, and so funding to that school was a lot higher than it was for the kids that came from um, council states or... Uh, Could you explain council states? Council states, states is um, flats that are built to house people that need um, state assistance. 
the so housing. government assistance. Yeah. So in the states, just for everyone awareness, the equivalent would be that of housing assistance, uh, and and people living, uh, some people living in projects are uh, on government assistance. It might just be the projects because housing assistance can be that you were given a house in a nice area by the government. So that's a housing assistance. But to um, yeah, the state is um, like purposely built flats just to house for um, underachievers or people with low income. So those are the areas where you get the gangs build up, where you get yeah, the drugs and uh, everything else. So, um, yeah, so council estates are quite bad in the UK. They're, they're trying to get rid of them slowly in London, but those are the areas where the schools are underachieving, the students are not getting the GCSEs that they need. In the UK... GCSE. Could you explain the... Ac- well, could you define the acronym? So it's... And it's, then... Explain what it is. So it's grades that you need to have as you leave school. So it it means that you need to have GCSE, English and Maths in order to go to university. If you don't have those, you can't, you cannot go to university. You, you also need them to get, get a job. If you don't have those two, you always have to go back and do them again. And that's the General Certificate of Secondary Education. Yeah. GCSE. So GCSE. Okay. So, so it's it's quite important in the UK. And there are great amounts of black and, and some ethnic minorities that are not achieving those. And um, the results for that for this year had just come out yesterday, actually. <laughs> and the students have got their results for that yesterday. Um, but, yeah, so I, I think for us to see improvement in behaviours at school, improvement in achievement, a lot higher than what they're doing at the moment. Mm -hmm. We need to look at their backgrounds. We need to look at how children are grown up, the housing that they live in, Mm -hmm. the the parents that they live with. Sometimes biological parents are not the best people to live with Mm -hmm. if they are not functioning in the right way. So sometimes it's even easier to remove those children so they can have a better life outside of that. But, and then at the same time, the government cannot cope with taking so many children away from their parents. I mean, there are parents that are taking drugs and, and drinking all the time and not giving that attention the kids need from little. I mean, and I'm talking about from six or seven. Mm-hmm. And so when a child grows up in that environment at that age, they're already falling behind with their reading. They're already falling behind from their peers with their maths and academic levels. And then that's when the behaviour starts because when you are below your friends, all you need to do is just behave the way that you want to behave rather than focus at school and, and admit that you're behind in reading or or in maths. So um, there's, there's, there's a lot of work to be done. But like I said... No one is perfect. I don't think we're perfect here. But the only difference is that, yeah, we don't experience as much violence as you guys do. Mm. <laughs> so we're we're nearing the end of our interview. Uh, there was one last question I wanted to ask. Yeah. Um, what was the the most impactful book or podcast or publication that you've ever read or heard? Um, in in relation to finance, because I did answer this differently, um, I've read... And just to put that in context, all of my guests, I send a pre-interview questionnaire out. 
And so when she says, when I've already answered, that's what she's referencing. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, it's fine. I just wanted to put it in Elaborate. context yeah, for, so, um, for people who have. Yeah, so I, I, I think at the age of 25, somebody had given me a book called, I think, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, or Poor Dad, Rich Dad. Yeah, Rich Dad, know. Poor Dad yeah. by Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah, yeah. so it, it was an eye-opener because to me, I it taught me that as a parent who doesn't have a lot, you're always trying to overcompensate by giving the children what you can't afford to give them. Mm. Whereas the rich dad always knows that I've got the money there, but you don't need to have it. Like my dad was. Mm. My dad wasn't really rich, but at the same time... He had that mentality. He had that mentality of trying to teach me in the process rather than just giving me handouts. So instead of overcompensating for what he didn't have, Mm. he was teaching me that I needed to earn for me to have what I wanted... But if there was anything that I needed as a parent, he was there to provide it. Whereas when you look at the poor dad, mm. he would go to work in a place that it's not probably a well-paid job and it's not very efficient enough for the income that he needs for his family. Mm. But at the same time, he's the sort of dad that will go one step and buy his child the, um, I don't know, branded trainers mm. um just to compensate for their shortcoming. Whereas my dad would question, why do you need a Nike when you can have Adidas or or anything else that's slightly cheaper? Mm. And then I had, I had to specify why I needed Nike and explain the reason behind it. And then he will then teach me a lesson from that. Nike is getting richer. Your feet are going to remain the same. And trainers will always do the same job, whether it's Nike or Adidas. So it was just learning those those kind of lessons and then reading that book had taught me that, yeah, it's I've witnessed lots of um, parents that did not earn as much as other parents overcompensating for what they buy for their children or how they treat them. And in doing so, they'd still get into debt for that. It's not their own money. They'd mm. still be overdraw- overdrawn in their accounts or get a loan from somewhere else just to please their children. Whereas the dads that couldn't afford it wouldn't do the same thing. They'll they'll question, they'll teach you, they'll they'll be like, Yeah, I can easily buy you that. But what is the reason behind it? And and that's what that book is about. You know, uh, thank you for sharing that. Uh, <laughs> I've I've read that book years ago. Yeah. Um but it, it didn't impact me the same way. But I think the takeaways that you got were yeah. uh, very insightful. Yeah. Uh, and from this interview, I, I think there are some key takeaways. Um, the biggest thing, I think, or what stood out most for me is that lesson you learned at a very early age from your parents on how to manage the finances yeah. uh, and understanding the difference between a need and a want right. and having a child to understand you need to earn what you want. And as a as a parent, I'll provide that for you. Yeah. And also, I, I think another big takeaway is uh, the stability that we provide for our our children, even in our families and our communities, yeah. has a long term impact yeah. for the negative or the positive. Yeah. So if we're raising our families in these deprived environments, we can't expect anything different. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not even talking about the place where we're at. I'm talking mm. about the place we're in mentally. Yeah. And it sounds like your parents, they didn't have much, but they knew what to do with they had. Yeah. And that makes a difference. That makes a world of difference. 100%. And, and I think sometimes showing the child how it's done 
it's much more effective than telling the child how to do it. So for me, witnessing it with them made me who I am today. If they just sat back and told me, you can't have this because you can't afford it, Mm. whatever else, it wasn't like that. It was, why do you need it? You want it, earn it. So it's seeing the example makes the difference to um, being told what not to do. So, Excellent. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for being you one for of my guests. Me. Uh, this has been wonderful. <laughs> uh, I knew it was going to be a profound session really? uh, interview. Yeah. And I just want to say thank you. I hope everyone enjoyed listening no. uh, as much as I've had having this conversation. So thank you very much. Thank um, you for having me. And yeah. I hope you enjoy your UK stay. Uh, I will. <laughs> I, I have been so far. Have and I will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good.